1: And And this is our house. house. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contest with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front-row seat to all of the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to-do. All you got to do is add your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. And every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid over $7 billion to users across all sports. And DraftKings is always going to be the leader in daily fantasy sports. There's no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download DraftKings app and sign up using the code THPN. That's THPN for The Hockey Podcast Network. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN, THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network, to get a free entry with your first deposit only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required, eligibility restrictions apply, and see draftkings.com
0: for details. Welcome to episode 51 of the House of Hockey podcast. I am one of your co hosts, Ray Ray. And I'm Breezy. And quick life update. I am not at at my home. I'm currently in the middle of a cross country road trip and I am in St. Louis. But by the time you listen to this, I will be in a new location. (laughs) Um, But that is what I have been up to and trying to watch some hockey. And I'm excited to put on the women's game here. We're recording this on Sunday. So um, I'm excited to watch the uh, professional women's hockey players association dream gap secret dream gap tour uh, of hockey that's going on in madison square garden which is super awesome it's the first ever like professional women's game to be played at msg that's
1: nuts i I mean msg is pretty iconic so that's awesome
0: oh yeah oh yeah and then in other exciting news the the slash my Chicago Blackhawks announced that they are also partnering, um, with the secret dream gap tour with, um, with the women, they're going to be hosting a game. I had to write it down, um, March 6th and 7th in Chicago at the United center with an all female NBC sports broadcast crew. So this is just very exciting. And I really think we all should be supporting the women's side of the game as well as the men um and these kinds of moments and nationally televised games um it's a really big deal it's really important to watch it just brings more eyes which creates more opportunities for them to have like a real professional you know um league and to grow the game just across the board because really you know we just we want to grow the game of hockey in this community so i was excited to see that
1: very exciting to see that and i will pump your tires a little bit right now because i had no idea that this was even going on and because i follow you at the hockey lady i was able to find out about this and you basically answered my questions. I was like, what the heck is this? And guess what? You took the time to go and explain it. So anyone who's not following you, go follow because life changing.
0: I'm just going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't want to be like bashing the PW, all the letters, PW professional P-W-H-P-A, but there, and the NHL and the NHL network social channels, nobody was like promoting the fact that these games were going on on Saturday and Sunday. And like, I had to... I, it took me like five minutes to figure out what dates, what time, what channel. And I was like, I need to summarize this for people because people don't want to go and take the time to do this. And this is hurting the game. And this is really important and people need to watch and they need to know what's going on. And like the name of the whole tour does not tell, would never in a million years tell you that this is like a professional women's hockey game happening, like a secret dream gap. Like I know sponsors are important. So like, yay, secret deodorant and I don't know if gap is like gap clothing or if it's just like dream gap is the name. I, I don't know. I didn't look that far. Um, but I just felt like it needed a little more explanation for the masses to just make it really c- clear. So I'm glad. I'm, gl- I'm glad my reporting on Instagram helped you. It did. It really did. And I appreciated that. <laughs> oh my God um the other the only other thing well i I have one more thing to talk about but we need to tell everybody about our guest for this week
1: so our guest this week is a former pro his name is brady he is also a host of hockey to hell and back uh Mm -hmm. and he's also the founder of the sweatshirt that i'm wearing for those who are not watching the video it is puck support uh brady has a crazy story um He's going to dive into the story uh, here with us later on in this episode. Uh, He can describe it way better than the two of us can. Um, But kind of long story short, or I guess his story in a little bit of a nutshell, is he you know, he went through some some hard times as a a young kid, uh, ended up playing uh, hockey professionally, got injured, uh, basically got addicted to drugs, uh, found himself on the streets of Vancouver Mm -hmm. Uh, he overdosed multiple times. He's been in jail a few times and he just wanted to turn his life around and there is no better way for him to do it than to kind of come full circle and get himself back in the hockey world. Uh, and while doing it, uh, trying to make a good uh, impact on, on the hockey world as well and helping others and making sure that, uh, those who have been lost in the hockey world are not being forgotten. Uh, hence puck support. That's what he has going on in each, each, article of clothing or hat whatever it is he also includes a name for someone who's, who has passed who's uh, yours? i have i have john adams i don't know if i can pull this up i'm sitting the... kind of awkwardly but it's john adams
0: with his um, um his dates of his
1: birth yeah with his dates so uh it's really cool brady's doing uh, you know an amazing job uh, everything he's doing um anything we can do to support anybody or just the hockey world in general we're going to do mm-hmm. and I think that's important for us to keep building each other up especially uh during hard times so yeah we'll to do a little bit of a disclaimer here um oh yeah it's gonna be a, a pretty heavy episode so if you're having any issues um you may not want to listen to this one <laughs>
0: yeah um you might find Brady's story to be Um, maybe disturbing or uh, triggering because he talks about uh, a lot of different topics that uh, if you're feeling any kind of way, um, you know, fast forward it or, um, you know, do what's best for you and do reach out. If you are having any issues, um, reach out to us on any of our social channels and we will connect you with Brady or the right person. If you uh, just need somebody to talk to about any hard things that you are going through. Um, It is a very serious conversation um, and a a heavy episode. And um, if you have kids around, you know, maybe, you know, don't, uh let them listen to it until you do or um if you do you know uh take the time to explain to them sort of uh what all this is and what all that means with his story because it is very it's um it's a lot and I commend Brady for being so brave in willing to share his his story and what some people might deem as mistakes that he's maybe made throughout his life and how he's overcome it and um know what he's gone through to be where he is today which is you know helping people and helping the hockey community and um there's a lot to learn from his story so uh if you do and and you can listen to it um please uh please enjoy the the interview coming up i don't know how i'm supposed to make a hard left turn now and talk about something completely ridiculous that went on in the nhl this weekend but i'm gonna just hard turn guys all right jordan bennington which is super oh my god because he's 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 been added
1: to my cancel list (laughs) i shouldn't say cancel because we need to cancel the cancel culture but he's been added to my um i'm gonna say my naughty list i he's right there with uh whatever that other guy's name is
0: nick ritchie Nick Ritchie yes okay Gosh. so he's up there now um it was super fitting that a story about Jordan Bennington came out the day that I was in St. Louis and I was like oh darn they're away I can't go down there and try to yell at him or get a sound bite when he walks out of the, <laughs> of the practice arena but I um, could see you just l- walking down there with your little tripod yeah
1: excuse me Mr. Bennington um, yes I need to have a word with you sir
0: You're on Breezy's naughty list, and I want to see if you have a comment about that. He's like, I don't
1: care who that is.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, You're wasting my time. Uh, Do I look scared? Do I look worried? Do I look intimidated? No. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So if uh, nobody saw the clip, here's a short uh, brief recap of what happened during the um, San Jose Sharks game with the St. Louis Blues. Binner gave up like Jordan Biddington gave up, I think like three or four goals and the coach pulled him to put in a different goalie, not to pull him to try to score more points and he was not very happy about it and on his way i don't know to the bench from the bench he freaking shoved a san jose sharks player he shoved another guy and then he shoved the san jose sharks goalie and was starting to like get in a fight with the goalie because he got pulled from the game like through a full-on toddler temper tantrum on the ice yeah what are you doing like it was almost like he like went up to carlson though and like gave him like a mini
1: like cross check like it yeah. almost like a like a what is that like a what am i trying to say i don't know like to, he like,
0: full-on cross
1: checked him but like he's like this... try to like make him flinch i feel like because right carlson was like what like, <laughs> like you? what's happening
0: right now did the goalie just like try to fight me for no reason? <laughs> it just like when you're like
1: little brother takes your last Rice crispy or something. It's like, bro, mom will get more at the store. You're fine.
0: <laughs> right. Like, why did you just do that? There was no reason. Like there was no reason for him to be fighting the Sharks players. Like he just like saw red and totally lost his mind on the ice. So he was the opposite. I mean,
1: he was a shark. or No, because he saw red, right? yeah this needs to get cut out of this I'm not making any sense (laughs) it's fine (laughs) I'm delirious this is this is bad (laughs) it's
0: okay you were on a weekend um away at Big Bear but I saw that clip and it made me laugh and then and then I thought to wonder okay is Binner you know because he's gone on other podcasts and explained that he does this as like a persona and that's why he like does interviews the way he does and he's so cool and he's like Sasha Fierce but like for hockey and like that's his thing and nothing affects him and he's like 20 and he's like so cool like is this scene part of that Or is, or did he just like have a total mental break and is so, was just so pissed off that he was pulled from the game because he probably wasn't playing very well and just kind of like, I mean, I don't know. I saw that (laughs) when I
1: got reception today, I saw that clip and I was like, this dude is an absolute tool. Like this is embarrassing. I would be embarrassed if I was him. Yeah. Yeah. I think. But maybe that's my unpopular hockey opinion. Uh, that can on, be on a binner,
0: <laughs> yeah. He just sort of looked like a goober, it was like not, it was sort of cringy. Like, yeah, God, did you just try to? What are you doing? You're going the wrong direction, you're skating the wrong way. Who are you fighting? What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, speaking of the oh, wrong no, way, man. uh, I have to admit that sometimes we do do things the wrong way. Um, on my cross country drive, I went to go pick up dinner one night and it was on a service road and I pulled in, I picked up my food and I went to pull out and there was no sign. Like normally there's a sign that says like one way, right? Like, and you're clearly like on a service road, but there's two lanes. So I turn left and I'm like, this doesn't feel right Something about this doesn't feel right. I'm like, I think this is a one way and I'm driving the wrong way down the run one way road. And then I saw a car and I quickly turned left into a parking lot. And I was like, motherfucker, I just drove one way down the wrong road in the service road. Um, luckily, there weren't like a lot of cars coming and there the light was red, but like that happened. So, you
1: know, I think everyone does it. I have done that plenty of times by accident. Yeah, it was on accident and there was no sign. There's no signs and I've done it, uh, I think the worst time was in downtown LA, which is the worst. If anyone ever goes to downtown, just don't drive. Just just don't drive. Better yet, you don't even want to go downtown. It's not Mm. even that fun but don't drive uh I did it after a concert and it was terrifying I was lost I was like I don't even know where to go where am I kind even going the right way like we're doomed I don't know what to do I'm just gonna like park right just in the middle of the road I'm just gonna park I'm scared I don't know what to do oh
0: <laughs> well, yeah it was like slightly terrifying and I, as I was moving forward I was like this is definitely I'm I'm not supposed to be driving this way yeah no definitely not (laughs) um post more signs thank you texas i think that's where i was i don't know where i was but yes uh downtown la should have more signs as well like it should like very clearly say like one way like a lot of the streets in downtown la are not marked and i have to go like you like inch forward to like kind of look at where the cars are parked
1: and it's like an unwritten rule it's like well you know that these are one-way streets and you can't go and it's like how do i Oh well, you know, like Sixth Street is you know up, and Ninth Street's down. It's like that's not how it goes, by the way. Please don't take that my word for that. But it's literally like that, and it's like, well, how am I supposed to know that Sixth is up and Ninth is down? Like that makes no sense. Well, yes, it does. It's like no, it doesn't. Mm -mm. Not at all. No, and I don't drive this enough.
0: Uh, so maybe binner just needed a sign to point him in the right direction and maybe he got confused <laughs> sure or sure. he's just a tool on on breezy's naughty list <laughs> he's just a tool
1: <laughs> and not a good one not a useful tool either
0: like no. a useful tool is like um, an electric screwdriver i think or just
1: a screwdriver Yes, or a tape
0: measure; those tape are
1: always pressure. nice. Those those are always needed. Yeah. Um, other than that, whatever. Uh, yeah, we're we're going down we're going down the wrong street right now. We just let's bring it back. What are we doing?
0: Our podcast is proud to be on the Hockey Podcast Network, and the network is home to many other incredible podcasts, including this one
2: he's my brother mike
1: he's my brother Matt.
2: and we are the brothers of discussion hosting red wings rant where tirades and impassioned pleas about your detroit red wings finally have a hope in a season mired in tragedy and despair we are here to be your audible earl gray to bring joy placidity and perspective. To one of the roughest eras in Red Wing history. Ah we honor the past. Find the positives in the present. I swear they're there. And paint the picture of what's to come in the Winged Wheels future. Paul Woods here on the radio broadcast your Detroit Red Wings, and I'm gonna play games like Who's it? Come on! Pokemon! Where Matt has to try and guess quotes pulled right out of context for Jeff Glashaw, and we got to figure out who that Red
1: Wing is. <laughs> Every episode, we put ourselves in the legendary shoes of Steve Eiserman and play Be the GM, finding ways to ice a competitive team while accumulating assets for the franchise's future. We also shoot the breeze, some of the great local and national
2: voices in Red Wings hockey, including Ken Kell and Keith Gave. It's Greg Wyshynski and Ryan Lambert.
1: Check us out every Monday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts,
2: Spotify, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts.
1: And check us out live every Wednesday and Sunday for Red Wings reactions and live conversations with you on our YouTube channel, The Brothers of Discussion.
0: Welcome to the house, former pro hockey player Brady Leavold. His story is... A harrowing one of how he went from playing professional hockey to shooting heroin, and how he is now back and in recovery and actually really helping the hockey community. There is a disclaimer that we are going to say because some listeners may find Brady's story to be a little bit disturbing as he's going to detail stuff about sexual abuse, graphic drug use, incarceration, and suicide. So this is the time to tune off or tune out or have your finger on the fast forward button um, and to, to put the kids away. We are very grateful that Brady is alive today to be able to tell this recovery story and how hockey has saved his life not once, but twice. And you're going to hear how Brady is helping others with the Puck Support Foundation, which we talked about earlier, and his podcast, Hockey to Hell and Back. So please enjoy this conversation with Brady. And I hope uh, you take something really wonderful away from this conversation. <laughs> Tell everybody who you are.
2: Well, no, thanks for having me. And uh, I always love the opportunity to hop on any any podcast. And obviously, I've been following you guys for a little bit now and uh, being able to connect with. It's interesting being on the other side of, you know, having females on the other side. I think it's really cool. And I commend you guys for doing that. And you're doing a great job. But, um, you know, I'm originally from Port Coquitlam. I always just say Vancouver because it's easier. People don't know where Port Coquitlam is. Um, But like any kid in Canada, I had the dream of playing professional hockey. And, um, you know, I had uh, some things happen to me when I was young, Um, really unfortunate things. I was sexually abused uh, at five and then again at six. And um, I kind of and my parents had just recently divorced. So hockey was essentially my outlet for for as long as I could remember and it worked. And um, you know, if there was no ice, it was me in the driveway with a stick in my hand and um pretending to have friends even if they weren't there. I was like, you know, commentating for myself the whole nights. And um, I loved it. I loved hockey and it it just got me out of all of that um terrible hurt and pain that I was carrying around. And um I, and I, you know, I I never really afforded myself the the chance and had the confidence, um, to ever believe in myself, even on the ice. Um, and you know, I, I think I, even at a young age, I would have had a lot more opportunity if I would have, you know, had that confidence and been able to share, um, some of the things that were going on with me as we are now learning more of hockey is a very, um, it's very mental. I mean, it's very physical, but the mental side of it is, is equally as important. And, um, eventually though, you know, through all that hard work and, and passion to get out of myself and my, my horror, my nightmare, uh, hockey provided me a great opportunity by making the Western hockey league and I played with Swift Current Broncos and my junior career was crazy. I mean, I did everything wrong. Um, you know, from getting a girl pregnant to partying to quitting the team to you name it. I, I did it. And, um, I just, you know, my life kind of fell apart at different times through junior hockey. And, you know, but my last year was great. I, I got traded to Kelowna. I uh, played online with Jamie Benn, captain of Dallas Stars. And, you know, it was great. Played with Tyler Myers is on that team. Tyson Berry, Luke Shen, bunch of guys. We had a great team and uh, ended up signing with the Lightning. And unfortunately, uh, you'd think it'd be a dream come true. But by that time in my life, um, you know, I started to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol and you know, I slowly started to get away from, you know, using hockey as my outlet. And now, you know, it was primarily is primarily drugs. I mean, drinking, of course, in the beginning, but um, it just wasn't cutting it for me anymore. And uh, heading into my first year pro, um, you know, you think you'd be training and preparing for this upcoming season. And I was going to lightning camp. Steve Stamkos had just been drafted first overall. And it was a lot of excitement around that. Um, but I didn't train. I, I, you know, I was, uh, using pretty heavily that summer and I ended up going to camp and I mean, I didn't, I, I think I did horrible. Um, uh, but I ended up, you know, making the American league team four games into the season. I blew my knee out and, um, they prescribed me Oxycontin and, uh, that's a game changer. I mean, you can, uh, we can decipher through, you know, a drug is a drug is a drug. Um, but when you get, you know, hooked on something with that power of that magnitude where it literally takes over your body and you need it just to get out of bed in the morning. Um, it, it becomes a whole nother nightmare. So, I mean, my pro career got derailed very early, like very early. Um, and you know, shortly after that, I found myself addicted to heroin and fentanyl and homeless on the streets in Vancouver. And I ended up doing three years in jail. Um, and, know recently i just celebrated a year um i mean it's been a year clean off all of the hard stuff i have to be very careful how i say that because up until very recently um i'm talking openly uh, i used cannabis as uh, some as a way to which is very it's actually more common in the hockey world now than than ever before and um i've you know now i'm a month a month without using cannabis too so it's great. But it uh it was a long road to get here and uh you know i had no i didn't really have any idea of what i was going to do i I, you know i was multiple suicide attempts um over over you know 10 overdoses where i should have you know i shouldn't be here talking to you guys and um somehow some way i decided to start a podcast just coming up on a year ago and you know you know, the hockey community being what it is, um, they rallied, they really rallied behind me. And for that, I'm so grateful. And it saved my life. Um, but, you know, I'm, I know I'm kind of taking over not letting you speak. But before we go any further, you know, like, as great as it was for me uh, to, you know, to be feeling this way and to be feeling better and, and sharing my story, um, I soon realized that, you know, I was not the only one. Uh, you know, and I'm actually one of the lucky ones, you know, I I uncovered a lot of uh, uh, just similar stories and so close to the heart where I found out my roommate from my time in the American hockey league, my short time actually passed away from a fentanyl overdose in 2017. And it was kind of in that moment that I decided I was like, Hey, well, you know what? Something needs to be done here. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do, but we're going to, I'm going to do this. And if I have to do it on my own to begin with, um, well then guess what? I'm going to do it. And so I just, I started something called Puck support. You can see the, the hoodie and I have a hat on. I got, you know, time, we got tons of stuff. We have a store and, um, it originally started as a non nonprofit, which it still is. We're trending in that direction. Um, you know, it's a lot of steps to get where we want to go. Um, but you know, I kind of worked back, like instead of waiting for everything to be perfect, I was like, you know, because I started to realize there's guys, there's girls, struggling right now. Um, we're losing people all the time. And I was like, I can't wait for things to be perfect. I, I have to do something. And and again, the hockey community rallied behind me and we have a ton of great support. I actually have a meeting with the NHL coming up very soon. Yeah. It's really cool. I can speak about that. Um, and the NHL PA, which is uh, exciting. I mean, I don't have any expectations going into it, but the fact that they're noticing um, you know, I think we're in that time now where, you know, enough is enough and people are opening up to it. So that's the the Coles note version, but I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of it.
0: You've lived like nine lives, you know, you've got stories upon stories, and there's so many things we can talk about here um, with what you've experienced. So I think... I'm not really sure where we should start based on everything you said. Um, I think, first of all, if anybody is resonating with anything you've said, um, obviously reach out for help or support, right? If you're experiencing any of the things that Brady just talked about, um, obviously uh, there is help and there are things and resources out there, including Brady and puck support and everything like that. But uh, I guess take us through the mental side of where you were at um, after, you know, playing junior and getting into the NHL and, and all of that, where were you at mentally with dealing with your past trauma and the drugs and then managing somehow to still at least attempt to perform, to play. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a really good question. I think, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't in a good way, put it that way. I, I certainly was not in a good way at all. And um, it, it, you know, there's enough pressure. There's enough pressure when you, when you're talking professional hockey um, even major junior hockey and, and it filters right down into minor hockey. I mean, hockey is so, it's a pressure cooker and, you know, I always felt that anxiety and, and like I told you before um, I just never felt that I really belonged, you know, even if I, you know, even if I was scoring goals and everything else, I would have this negative self talk. Like, you know, you don't believe it, you know, you you, you don't deserve it. Um, you know, all these guys are better than you. You shouldn't even be playing. And uh, you know, I never, you know, speaking on the trauma side of it, you know, I never, I never told anybody until I was 26. I'm 33 now. And um, it was a long road to get there. And it was sort of like the way that I uh, explained it is, you know, and I talked about, it. I just had Curtis Gabriel on the podcast. I know he's a friend of your guys' as well. And I'm um, such a great guy. And the way that, you know, we talked about things is this, it's like, you know, certainly, you know, inside the, the dressing room, but also everywhere in the world. I mean, you talk about like language in the dressing room and on the schoolyard and these kind of things. And, you know, when you, you know, at a young age, I, I kind of realized how, you know, judgments and labels were getting, you know, passed on to people, whether they were true or not. And, you know, I, I, I know of several individuals I went to school with that, you know, they would, they'd be called homophobic slurs or whatever, regardless if they were true or not, but it stayed with them for their our, like entire time in school. And they were just labeled as this. And so like, when I saw that happening, I was like, there's no way, there's not a chance I'm ever telling anybody because, you know, and then you get into the hockey dressing room and I always, I fought a lot and, you know, I'm a pretty tough guy, but I always pretended to be way tougher than I ever was. Um, I'm actually a real, I'm a softie. I cry all the time. Uh, I can't even watch Extreme Makeover like, Home Edition without crying. Me my mom called the cry show. You know, I watch, I'll watch like. The well, Voice American- for sure. Yeah. Like all those shows. I'm like, I'm just so happy. but I'm crying because I'm usually happy for people and stuff, but like, you know, so just pretending, always pretend to be somebody I wasn't. And, you know, it, it, I, to be honest with you guys, I never felt like I, like it goes back like i never felt like i belonged but i i never felt like i was like the rest of the guys it was like you know and and what i'm soon realizing is like you know a lot of us were just kind of going through the same thing trying to be something we're not and putting on all these different masks so i'm not saying i'm i'm special in any way but like you know just trying to be up live up to that hockey player persona you know and um I think that had a big reason with why I, you know, just didn't really feel like I fit in. I was like, you know, I felt different. I obviously, cause of what happened to me, but you know, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of layers there, but um, you well, know,
0: Let me ask you this. Did you ever feel like when you were playing hockey at any point and you were struggling with any of the things you were right? Um, did anybody reach out to you or try to, help you or lend a hand and like talk us through that. Cause I'm sure people listening are going, well, didn't his coach say something or what about his friends? Like, were they saying, Hey Brady, like what's up? How can we help you? But I think you need to help the audience understand for people who don't know what it's like to, to have an addiction and to have some trauma like that, that you are just sort of like, if you're not willing to recognize it, then there's no way to help you. But if you could tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. And, um, you know, when you, as soon as you ask that, I I think back to, you know, my rookie year in Swift Kern. And just because I was doing a podcast earlier, I have this here. I know it may not be video, but this is I won rookie of the year uh, for the Swift Kern Broncos. And like that year I left for like three weeks on a mental health, what would now be a mental health leave. And the following year I ended up quitting the team seven games into the season because of everything that was going on. But, you know, that year, They brought, you know, a sports psychologist came in um, and we got to speak with him very briefly. I mean, you know, he's there for a weekend or whatever. And when you're talking junior hockey, I mean, there's, you know, money issues or whatever, depending on what team you're playing on. I mean, in the WHL, you're really well taken care of. It's a mini NHL, but um, still like it, it comes back to the point where, you know, at that time I was still not ready to tell anybody. And because I was, I was thinking like, I was think I was so suicidal. Like I, I was calling my dad, being like, you know, dad, I'm gonna if I don't leave here, I'm gonna kill myself and, and that's it. And I couldn't, I couldn't really like get the courage to tell him why. And um he always just assumed it was because of a girlfriend or this or that, which maybe tied into it a little bit. But you know, actually, if you want to know the truth, like, you know, when I came back from that little break my 17-year-old year, like the team was so hard on me. Like the guys were like some of the guys were horrible to me. Like they were, gave me the nickname, baby. They're like, kept going go home, baby, go home. So it's like, Whoa, like, you know, like I, then it's like you start to feel like you're not part of the team because you can't tell them what's really going on. And I mean, in retrospect, maybe I should have, like, I wish I would have told somebody, but when you're just trying to fit in, in a group like that of alpha males and, you know, especially as a rookie, um, you know, you're just scared to make a bad pass in practice, let alone actually let anybody tell 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 anybody what's really going on. Um, and because it's such a competitive environment. I mean, if you're not playing well, you know the next guy next to you is going to take your spot in the lineup. So you're trying to do anything you can to stay in there. And, you know, I, I had different coaches that at different times try to pull me aside and say, hey, what's going on or whatever. But getting back to what you said, it's like if you're not, you're not you know, willing to share those experiences. I, I mean, you're wasting, you're not, I wouldn't say you're wasting everybody's time, but essentially you are, because I always tell everybody, like you get back to addiction or whatever, if you're not willing to be completely honest, like I'm talking brutally honest. And I thought I was honest for a long time. You know, I, I done recovery since I was 21, that's 12 years. And just for the first time I hit a year, like after 12 years, you know, or 11, and then this last 12th year, it's been a year. And so like, I always thought, okay, yeah, I'm being honest, I'm being honest, but there's always little reservations. Okay. Well, okay. I'll tell them this, but I'm not going to tell them that, you know, and until I was able to, you know, share freely and, you know, my story, like I'm so brutally honest now, like to the point where people are like, really? I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to tell it like it is because I need to. And I don't encourage people to do it always on live videos or podcasts like I do, but that's, what's worked for me because, I knew that as soon as I put myself out there, it was like, well, now you can't lie because the second you lie, you're going to lose any credibility and people who are looking to you for support, people you're helping. And you know, your own support systems are all going to fall out from under you because they're going to see that you're being phony. And so it hasn't been a smooth transition. Like this year hasn't been like, you know, all just going to the top. I mean, I still struggle every single day at different times with different things. I just don't struggle with using drugs anymore, but that's, you get rid of the drugs while well, you still have all your other issues going on. And so, you know, I think, I think there's a huge gap in the hockey world um, between getting, you know, the support that we need um, that some of us need um, and the stigma behind it. I mean, you know, I think back again to that rookie year where like I, I come home from that and, and you know I didn't, the team kind of speculated why I left and different things, but nobody really knew what was going on with me. But still the way that I was like, you know, recept, like receptive back or accepted back was, was not very good. It didn't make me feel good. And I mean, I'm not blaming them. I mean, they, you know, it's a team, you're supposed to be a team guy and team first. And it's like, well, you can't be team first. If you're not taking care of yourself first, you can't do, you can't take care of anything else. If you're not taking care of yourself. Right. And it's not, I used to look at that as selfish all the time, but I mean, it just comes back to, to looking out for yourself and, and doing what's right for you. And I wasn't able to do that until very recently.
1: Right. I mean, what would you say? I know you said there, you know, the league in general needs to work on being able to help. What advice would you give to either, you know, a parent, a teammate, a player, or even like a coaching staff or anybody um, to, if you see someone struggling, like, what would you having the experience like how would you say to approach them to try to get
2: get help yeah it's a that's a very good question and i wish I had more of the exact answers for that okay. so that we could really you know really start to to help people but you know i always say to and i've been saying this to in po- different podcasts and, and videos that i do it's like if you're a coach or you're a parent like especially a coach with COVID going on and everything else. And a lot of the rinks up here, like hockey shut down completely up here in Canada and um, for the kids. And and what I've noticed is that like when guys retire from hockey, a lot of them struggle, like it's, it's very well documented. And if they don't have something to go into right away, that gives them that purpose and that meaning they struggle. Well, and what we're seeing now is that it's filtering down into these kids that shouldn't be having to experience that because they don't have that outlet, that team, whatever it is. And so I always tell these coaches like now, like if you're a coach, like check in with your, check in with your kids and, and don't just check in with like, you know, a couple of them, make sure that you're treating them all the same and giving them the same opportunities. And I don't mean that ice time. I mean opportunities within the dressing room to speak up and to feel part of. And I mean, if you're want to talk like junior and especially like junior hockey, like you have to build that culture in the dressing room where, you know, if there's guys that aren't, you know, being supportive on and off the ice of the teammates will get rid of them because it's, you know, at the end of the day, hockey's a, it's a sport. It's, it's really, it's a business when you get to a certain level, but when you, when you take that gear off, we're all humans. And and that really should be the most important focus, I believe. And um, as far as kids go that are, that are struggling um, you know, the sooner that you let that stuff go, um, in the right setting, I mean you need to know that you you trust people and, and to have those supports in place and um, on the other side of that if you if you wait for the timing to be perfect you know it 's never going to be perfect because it 's always going to hurt it's always going to be uncomfortable it's always going to be hard yeah. um, but being able to you know let that go um and realize that really you're not alone because there's always somebody that, you know, has gone through something similar um, or, or the same, very much the same. And what people don't realize, at least I didn't, I can only speak for myself, is how understanding um, those people that really care are. So, you know, I think it's dangerous to, for a kid to to come out and, and say different things in junior, but we're seeing we're seeing um, some pretty amazing things. Like I had Yannick DePlisi on my podcast. I'm not sure if you know of his story, but he's the first openly gay junior hockey player. And he, before he even made the Quebec major junior league, he came out gay at 17. And so like that to me is like, wow, like that guy, that kid had balls, like, but he understood that it was that, you know, that fear and anxiety of people finding out and whatever, when he was just trying to be himself. well, now he's on the other side of it. And sure, there's not, everybody's been supportive because we live in a judgmental world. Not not everybody is going to be, but to be able to filter out those people. And and, I mean, the love that the kid is getting is just amazing. And I mean, it, 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 goes on so many different levels where like, You know, if, if somebody you say has been sexually abused, like I was, I mean, you know, they can come talk to me. I make myself available for everybody, but I had trailblazers ahead of me. Like Theron Fleury is a friend of mine. Sheldon Kennedy is a friend of mine. Like guys that I had in my podcast super early and that I was able, that I'm able to like still to this day call and be like, Hey, you know, like this is what's going on for me. And so you know, being able to, to find those people. um, And for me, those people were because I, you know, as a hockey player, being able to see another hockey player um, walk in, walk in those shoes, it made it a lot easier for me. So I think the more, the more guys that come out and share their stories, whether it's addiction, mental health, sexual abuse, whether they're coming out openly gay, which we're still waiting to see in the NHL. Curtis and I talked about it. You know, there's, you know, there's at least one, probably 10 in the NHL and we're waiting for that day. And I understand why, why they're scared to come out. Like I I get it. Like I totally understand. Like I couldn't even share like anything with them because I felt so scared of being judged by the coaches. And uh, well, and and
0: if you look at the examples of of open, of people, athle, a, let me try that again. If you look at the examples of professional athletes, like in the NFL, who have come out and when they are active on a team, they're still not; they're no longer in the league. So there aren't any good examples out there for the NHL players either. I didn't mean to cut you off, and I know he no, has another question. I'm, but I'm like really the did. the example is not out there as far as the men side of things go. And we were talking also since you're talking about Curtis Gabriel, like. The women's side is so much more ahead with like being able to be openly gay and to and it to not be an issue, um, but to it's now we have to like go backwards and change these old systems and these old beliefs in the in the male side.
2: Yeah, and and before uh, she hops in here, yeah. I mean. Like, we're gonna, we will. I believe we will get there. Like, I, I'm a firm believer, maybe not even in my lifetime, but we will get there. And the reason being is because I'll be honest hockey is an old boys club. You look at the NHL, the major junior leagues, all of it. It's all these old, these older guys that are, you know, it's maybe not even their fault. I'm not judging them, but it's the way they were raised or they were brought up and these different, you know, judgments that they have um, that they don't know how to, you know, make any sense of it and then they're and the worst part of it all maybe is that they're not willing to see you know the other side of it and and that's where i have a problem with with mm-hmm. it all and
0: right they see it maybe, as like it's going to be a distraction to the game and and like that whole sort of aspect and that uh, hockey is very much you know we're it's the team it's not i it's not i did this in the game it's we did this in the game and i think they're just so afraid of, of that changing
1: It's funny how they always say it's like, uh, it's always the team first in the sport. And like, they don't want distractions or anything like that. But in order for people to, to grow the sport, like you have to make it more on a personal level. So I don't understand why they're always like no distractions, no distractions, but like distractions could be good to some extent.
2: Yeah. And uh, just to touch on that, uh, in a sec, but like, if you think back um, you know, when you spoke to Curtis Gabriel and I just spoke to him too. And I, you know, I had some time to reflect on it uh before him coming on and then again while I was speaking with him. And if people actually comprehend like what he's doing, um being a mm-hmm. not a full time NHL guy, he's in and out of the lineup. He's buried, he's played one game this year and and I hope to see him in the lineup more. I believe he deserves to be there. And um you know, but it'd be different if, you know, Ovechkin or McDavid were doing what he was doing because they could just show up to the rink every day and be like, "Ah, yeah, I got my 10 year contract with my millions coming in and they're not, um, you know, it's would be easier for them to do it. And so when I see a guy like Curtis doing what he's doing, it's like, wow, like he's really putting a lot on the line for something he believes in. And that's why I, you know, he's a, he's one of the best people I think out there for doing what he's, what he's doing. It's, it's simply amazing. And you know, it's, it, he talked a lot about, a lot about it is where like, maybe we do need to, and I, not even maybe we do, we need to make it on a more personal level because if we're all, we're thinking about is hockey and, and that's all we're seeing. Well, you're going to start to see these guys' mental health deteriorate even faster. They need to be able to be themselves and to let out and let them, let the people around them or the world, whoever they decide to share it with, let them know what's going on. And, I mean, it's it's a real shame. It's a real shame that we're kind of where we are. And I believe that we were better than we were five years ago um, and certainly 10, 15, 20 years ago. But I mean, there's so much work to be done. And it, it's guys like Curtis that, you know, are to me, um, you know, maybe the most inspirational man in the NHL right now.
0: And I'll take it to the devil's advocate. And then I know Breezy has another question, because like if you look at something like the NBA, where you've got these huge personalities that are sharing everything right, like they're, you know, they're not afraid. like they're dating Kardashians and they're on reality shows like we don't want that like i i understand like i i don't want that like i i don't want like no i still i want to know you and i want you to be able to feel comfortable sharing your story on social media and showing us the weird quirks that you have or even if it's something as simple as that we don't even get that you know we get pictures of babies and kids and like Very like not a lot of players are willing to like push that boundary uh, like Curtis is. So, I mean, I I understand and I I don't want it to go that far Mm -hmm. down like of of, like we're on e-news and stuff like that with our NHL players, because I think there is still something sacred about that team mentality that keeps the game You know, still really powerful, and the players still humble to some degree. But like, I do agree 100% with what you're saying that we need to see more of them because if we don't, with the way that this next generation is coming in, the sport is going to die off from a professional side because kids today are so used to seeing like what's your TikTok and like they want to see Connor McDavid on TikTok. Not that I'm advocating for that, but like, (laughs) we need to have some balance with it. And I think the the hard and fast rule with the nhl is just no just a, a just a no it's just no so um I, I i i understand the dilemma but we need more people like curtis who are active that are willing to just put themselves out and curtis isn't doing anything by any means that would be like uh like or at least i i think that way because i'm you know we're pro you know lgbtq plus and and, and inclusive and Inclusive, being inclusive. So it's like, I guess that to me is super normal that he would yeah. rock pride tape. Right. Um, but for some people that might be very challenging to see. Um, so anyway, I don't know what I was tra- point I and was it, trying to make. And it but,
2: shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be. Right. It really shouldn't be. It should be. So, you know, I wish I don't know, like when on the show, I told Kurt Curtis is sending me a box of it. I told him I swore up and down now that I'm going to I'm going to have it on my stick for the rest of I mean that and it's like not because I'm trying to copy him or anything it's because I need you know maybe he's in the NHL but I'm coaching kids and I'm there people will be like well well are you gay Brady?" well no I'm not but guess what like it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter because you know these are my friends these are people that you know deserve to be loved and you know I think it goes back to like so there's so many different things where okay, well, one night we're going to do this. And one day right. we're going to talk about this. And it's like, okay, well, what about the other 364 days in the year? Like, right. I'm like, you know, it's all great. and it's it's, But it's, it's really just smoke and mirrors to me. It's like, well, what are we really doing on a daily basis to make sure that we're keeping people accountable, keeping, you know, the different leagues accountable, whatever to and that. That's a huge piece on that is education. Like, what are, you know, what are the the powers that be that have a huge voice, you um, know, in, in all sports, really, but let's say hockey, what are they doing, you know, to educate the next generation so that we can have a smoother transition into this? And, it, it and isn't
0: that to- answer nothing? Yeah. Is the answer to that nothing? Like what what's <laughs> yeah. being done? You know, it's like. That right there in lies the issue, you know, like you're saying with like the coaches need to get to the kids who are in the young, not that they have to go all like, let me explain what a, what a gay man is to you, but like, just sort of making it not a big deal, but like, is that happening? Where's the structure? Where's the training coming from? And like, where does that come from top down from like an NHL or USA hockey? Uh, We're not like, I'm not bashing them, but like, this is where it's gotta come.
2: You yeah know. yeah and you know like i know for i know for hockey canada um and, like- and
0: sorry wait let me just say this not uh, all coaches, coaches are not doing this like there are a lot that are um it's, just, it's not just not as public
2: yeah and again you don't know, want to know what it goes back to it goes back to that individual about the effect um, their careers. Um, they're in today's world or five, 10 years down because we live in this crazy society that you you said something when you were eight years old, Fired at, you know, 35. And it's like, well, you know, people grow and they change. And, you know, if I, if people want to judge me on all the stuff I've done, like, you know, I might as well just go jump off a bridge because everyone's going to hate me like seriously. And so, I mean, this is the problem I'm having is like, even with doing my podcast is like, I, I've talked to a lot of, I've had a lot of great guests um, and I'm so grateful for all their friendships and everything, but it's when I get guys like Curtis on or even last night like Kevin Rain on where they're willing to talk about, you know, things that are going on. You know, I, I get some guys on that are, they're very reluctant to open up because they might be worrying about getting that, you know, TV job on ESPN or TSN or whatever, um, And they're scared to be able to be themselves. And, you know, you talk about reality shows, like, do we really get to see the real, the real people in those shows either? Like, they're just pretending to be something they're not too. So, I mean, it's, but I will agree with you, Ray, that definitely no, you know, I I like the hockey wives show. I'll give them that. I don't know if you've seen that. That's not a bad show. I can deal with that, you know, because at least you still they're you know, they're a little bit, you know ritzy and stuck up in some ways but hell whatever that's fine but you know they're not too over the top dramatic and everything else and i i wish i had more answers um for everybody. And, you know, it just goes back to like, you know, what can we do? Um, You know, depending on what we're, what our roles are on a daily basis, if we're parents, you know, what are those conversations we're having with our kids Um, when they come home from school? Are we keeping them accountable? Um, Digging a little bit deeper instead of just saying, how was your day? Well, tell me one nice thing you did for somebody today. Like, you know, did you see anybody getting picked on? How did you handle it? How did you feel about it? Like, you know, teaching your, teaching your kids to stand up, not only for themselves, but for those that can't stand up for themselves. And I mean, that's something as a parent that, that, you know, I drive home hard, um, you know, to my kids, even though they're really young and it's like, you know, and I know a lot of parents are doing this, but I mean, if we don't keep that accountability and it's not like, you almost have to like, not brainwash the kids, but like, keep reminding them, like show show them that it's important and like build their character right from a young age. And, and, and if you really want to think about it, like if you want to be a pro hockey player, I mean, you start developing those little characteristics Well, you're going to mold into a great person, which will be a great teammate, a great leader, um, somebody that the scouts will want to have on their team. And like I tell all the kids, if I coach them or whatever, it's like, no matter where you are, if you're, And I always use hockey rinks, but it doesn't matter. Like if you're playing, um, if you're practicing, you have no idea who might be in that rink. It like the coach from the other team that you're playing tonight when you're 12 years old. Well, you know, guess what? Maybe in five years he's going to be coaching in major junior or wherever. And you know, then he sees you in the lobby after the game and you throw garbage on the ground or you're swearing or you slam a door in someone's face or you're yelling at your parents or whatever it is. It's like, People remember that kind of stuff. So like I always tell everybody, it's like, you know, you're not always just you're always representing yourself, but not just yourself, your family. If you're on a team, you're representing your team and your community and, you know, trying to get these kids to stop and think about what they're doing. And especially when you want to talk about like social media. I mean, it's that's the very first thing people go to. Now you talk to NHL scouts you know where they go when they want to look at a guy boom what's on his social media um and then they start digging a little bit deeper so i mean you can fake it kind of but you you really as a as a mentor a parent you need to get to to the root of it at a young age and really show because unless you're showing you don't know you don't know if you don't know right you can't you can't just you can't just figure stuff out all the time and a lot a lot lies on, on parents. I I truly believe that a product of your environment and, and different things. So parents listening, um, you know, make your kids accountable, give them consequences if they deserve it. I'm not saying beat them or anything like that, but you know, (laughs) um, monitoring, um, monitoring their social media, um, monitoring their friendships. I mean, some parents are like, well, I want to give my parent, my kids freedom and this and that. Well, really? Like I had way too much freedom. And my dad was a single dad. He was probably just exhausted and annoyed with me. So I just let me do whatever I want most of the time. But, and I was a pretty good kid. I will say I was a pretty good kid, but I mean, I've been dealing a lot with bullies lately, like online bullies, like where I've had to literally step in and my face, my Instagram page got shut down because of it. Get this. So I had a kid who was being bullied in a group chat, um, you know, body shamed and everything else in this hockey player group chat. Like these are like in like little junior influencers on Instagram, the like ambassadors of this company, they all have this group chat and they brought me into it and after, but he sent me, he called me. He's like, he's like driving around. Cause he's like 18. He just turned 18. And, uh, all these kids are like fit 15 in the group. Chat, 16, 17, 18. And uh, he's driving around and uh, he's like in tears and he's like, I'm done. Like, da, da, da. he's like telling me he's like seriously going to take his own life. And I had to talk him through and I'm like, what's going on? And he sent me the pictures of the group chat. And I was like, no, this is not happening. Like, so I ended up going on Instagram. I called the kid out on a live video and whatever. I put it right on him. And, you know, I ended up taking it down. But the kid never even apologized. Um, I had to actually contact the companies he was sponsored by, which is, he's now been removed from um, because I had to, I was like, you know what? This kid needs consequences. You can't treat people like that. And, um, and then so him and his little bully buddies, they, they reported my, my fate, my Instagram page. I got kicked off. I didn't even do anything. I can't get my page back, but it's all right. I got a new name that's better anyways, but it goes back. And that's not the only one. And then like two days later, another totally different set of uh, kids and, and different issues. And it's still going on. And it's like, what, like I understand like kids will be kids and everything else, but like, it's got to come from, it's got to come from within the family dynamic, the teachers, the coaches, and it, it comes back to what, what kind of setting, like what, what are the topics of conversation you're having? Even if you're a teacher in this, in the classroom, how much are you focusing on, you know, schoolwork um, and balancing it with life skills and, and being a good person. I think we miss that. Like we get so caught up in all the crap where people are just trying to impress everybody all the time. I know I did. Like I always did. Um, And it's, I don't know. I I wish I had more answers for everybody, but it's got to come within.
0: Well, it's got to come within yourself, right? Like first, like if you're a parent who is, hasn't dealt with their own um, issues or traumas or frustrations or, or own um, personal growth things Um, they're not going to be able to help their kids. And then the cycle continues. So the
1: the first, go ahead. No, I mean, I think parents too also put their kids in sports to help them get through whatever they're going through. But when you have social media, I mean, I feel like just hearing Brady's story, like a locker room is just as bad as social media sometimes. I mean, you're getting bullied online in the locker room. These guys are your friends. You're supposed to be able to open up with them play with them bond with them but if you're getting bullied like then you're gonna be, I mean you're basically getting getting torn to shreds and this should be like a safe place and hockey I mean we always talk about how hockey even a better sport than than other sports just based off of you know the connections that people are able to get and the players they seem more accessible and whatnot but um it, it's and- tough to hear stories like this obviously where you want it to be all inclusive and whatnot, but it, there's, it's just not quite there yet. And
0: that's to that, like to the positive of hockey, right? Like there is mm-hmm. the team mentality. There is the team, like we team first, which can be a really powerful thing, especially in these situations of like, being bullied online like that's where the captain of let's just hypothetically say that kids you know you want the captain of the team to step into that group chat and say like hey man we're not about this so like knock it the fuck off you know or whatever that is like and and to Brady's point of like that's where the parents and the teachers and the coaches have to give these kids the confidence and the power to be able to be willing to stand up for themselves and for other people. And that applies to us and our own personal lives too. And the parents themselves, like, you know, it takes courage and it's scary. And I'm sure it was scary as fuck for you, Brady, to come out and tell any and all of your story um, in, in the beginning, but you're that much better off for it. And you're helping that many more people. So just people knowing that there is, a good that will come from, from being brave and bold and all that. Uh, Br- Breezy, were you going to ask something else like 20 minutes ago? <laughs> well, I wanted to loop it back. Cause I, yeah. I know that that Brady
1: had said that hockey's a, a physical sport, but it's more mental than anything. And I kind of wanted to loop in um, you coming out of addiction, having that mentality of a hockey player and being tough and like, I mean, I feel like hockey players are trained more on their mental aspect than they are physically sometimes. Cause it's a very mental game. As you said, would you say having the hockey mentality helped push you through to, to get sober and to, to get past your addiction?
2: Uh, you know what? I think at different times, um, especially early in recovery, like when you're so like, when you come off opiates, I mean, there's just no two ways about it. It hurts. Like um, it's, they, you can't even put it into words. Um, it's the worst feeling. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone through it. People wouldn't believe me if I, if I told you, and like, I was bad. Like I was an intravenous drug user. Like I was bad. Like I was like the worst of the worst. And I think early on in recovery where, you know, I used to, I would just tell myself, like, I'd turn that, that little switch on, that little competitive switch in my brain um, that a lot of hockey players, athletes have, um, I think that you develop as a, as a kid getting to play the game. And and I feel very lucky that I was afforded the opportunity because a lot of people aren't. And I often wonder how many, you know, Connor McDavid's are out there that will never get the chance because it's so expensive. And that's something we're looking into to, to be able to help. There's a lot of great organizations doing it already, but I feel like there's always more that can be done. Um, but yeah, certainly I think for a long time um, you know, it, it helped. Um, but it, on the other side of that, you know, Uh, to be honest, I think through, you know, through my addiction, um, you know, I started to utilize some of these things maybe in a, almost a, a negative way where, you know, I was very quick tempered my whole life after all that stuff happened to me. And I, you know, and I would always get really pissed off if someone did something to my teammates. That's why I fought so much. It was never because anybody did anything to me. It was when people do stuff to my teammates, my friends, my family. And so when I went into that life of addiction, I ended up getting myself into more trouble because I was trained to like punch now and think later. And you can't do that on the street. You know what I mean? You can't, you know, you do that. You could fight in hockey. You do that anywhere else. That's called assault. You know what I mean? You can't, uh, so, you know, I'm lucky that I didn't get, you know, you know, I'll be honest. Like I was shot at once. I've been stabbed. Like that's the life that I lived. And like, you know, a lot of it to do was where I was sticking my nose where I probably shouldn't have because I, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, these are my friends. I got to stick up for them. This is my team, even though it was an addiction, whatever it is. And you know, so I think as a, as a mental side of hockey and the way that I was trained as a hockey player to, to kind of react so quickly, um, it was almost dangerous for me at times. But, um, you know, having to learn to, you know, push through when you don't want to, um, whether it be in a bag skater practice, you you're, the coach is telling you to skate and it's like, what are you going to say? No, like you better find a way to, you better find a way to like get through this. And, you know, I think we all develop different tactics to get through it. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's no question that I've, I've used that um, to get out the other side and and uh, at different times and, you know, but I'll tell you what though, it got, I got tired. Um, there was a period of time there where I just gave up and I lost that competitive for anything and I just gave up uh, and gave my life to my addiction obviously being homeless for almost a year and like yeah it was bad like I you know it kind of wore off where I you know I, I kept getting that little like okay you're a fighter you can you can get through this and I tried so many times and so many times and I'd fail and I just got tired until I was like you know what I can't, like, I I'm, I can't beat this. This has got me, and uh, I'm sick of going to rehab. I'm sick of trying to withdraw off this garbage. I'm just, this is my life, and let's just roll with it. And so I, I started to believe that, you know, this is what I deserved um, in and out of jail and different things and starting to do a lot of things that are unimaginable um, that I so still... So how
0: did you flip that thinking, though? Like, yeah. after you hit that bottom what was so, the defining moment to make a change and then to flip was it the the roommate that you said that in junior
2: well i think honestly if you you know i look back um you know to when you know what like when i changed and came out the other side like this time is that what you're asking like what
0: yeah like, how did like, i find what, that
2: again like um, what
0: was the like you're describing these these really um hard thoughts and feelings that i'm sure a lot of people ha- have felt or if they've experienced something similar to you. So to get to that bo- that rock bottom and you know that looks different for different people. Um but yeah. we've oh, all had. Yeah. So like what were when you were like okay, fuck this shit. I'm not going to let it take over my life. I've got to make a change and I'm going to get off the street and not be homeless and do something about it. Like well, what I, was
2: wish that? I, I wish I wish I could tell you that's the way it went, but I got, I always say I got arrested, but I got rescued. And uh, I got rescued by the police and thrown in jail for two years. At one time I got out and went right back to it and ended up in jail for another year. Um, and while I was in there that time, and this was, you know, I've been out for like a year and a half, almost two years now. And, Um, so it's pretty new, right? Like it's all pretty new. Um, but I think, you know, what a big change for me and I don't speak about it a lot. Um, I was, I was in jail and had, you know, seriously, can't go anywhere. (laughs) Like you're locked in there. And I, I tried everything, you know, so I started to, you know, I think at this time, the last time I was in there, it was like, you know, around the three or four month mark of being in there. Um, once a week, this Bible cart would come by with all these different scriptures and different things. And, I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna try this. Like, you know, I got nothing else to do, and um, decided to start seeing a chaplain once a week. And it wasn't like I was, you know, gonna go totally like rah rah. I'm gonna be a, you know, uh, a church goer guy, which I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there's something to it all. I, I still do, um, but that really was a big change for me. Um, I started to read a lot more. I uh, started to open my my heart and my eyes to. Um, what what good really looks like, what a good person really looks like, and um, started to realize that, that that really is me, and that's who I've always wanted to be, is is naturally, I'm a really caring, kind, giving person, really generous, and, um, you know, getting back to that, and being able to be like, you know what, like, I'm not going to try to be somebody to impress anybody else anymore. I'm not going to, you know... I'm just going to be me. And if people like me, they like me. If they don't, they don't. And, um, you know, so I a lot of it to do is, you know, I completed every single Bible study while I was in there and and read the Bible and and started to pray a lot, started to journal a lot. Um, And when I got out, um, I'll be honest, I went back and I relapsed very quickly. Um, But about a month after that, I, you know, I was actually it's crazy. a story, long story short, but like I had gone out one night. To go do nothing good, put it that way, and um, I was literally walking down this like street, like that's like it's like a highway in the middle of nowhere, and uh, very few streetlights. And you know, I was, I think at this point I was like two and a half weeks clean. Like I'm talking like this is almost a year ago to the day, like today, like you know what I mean, like give or take because I just celebrated a year. So like I was like two and a half weeks clean. So like a year ago today, and. I decided to go out and I was clean at the time. Right. So, but I was recently clean, but I was still in that mentality of like, Oh, like, you know, I was still doing all that bad stuff, whatever. And I started to walk down this highway to go do whatever. And all of a sudden this like overwhelming sensation came out over me. And this is no lie. Like there's so many stars in the sky. I'm up here in Muskoka in Ontario. And I'm just like, started talking to myself. I'm like, really? You're going to go do that right now? Like I, and it was like, I was talking to myself, but it wasn't me. And it was like a this, like, three, four minute conversation going back and forth (laughs) and people probably think I'm nuts if they saw it. And all of a sudden, you know, I was like, said to myself, I'm like, you're going to turn around, you're going to go home. You're going to, you know, you're going to get your shit together, like end of story. Like, I don't know how, but you're going to do it. Like, you're not like, you're clean right now. You don't even have the capacity to go do those things that, you know, you're not driven by your addiction anymore, even though you're, I'm still mentally ill up here. And and those are the ways that I was used to, because I did it for the last five years. It's hard to break. So anyways, I went back and the next day, I actually, I put my skates on for the first time in like eight years. And, uh, where I was living at the time was on like a lake up here. And that's why I was out in the middle of nowhere and, uh, pretty much in the bush. And there was a lake and literally the driveway was ice. So I skated down the driveway of ice right under the lake. And I went skating for like five minutes and came back up and, uh, my girlfriend's like, oh, I've never seen you smile so much in my life. And I was like, yeah, not that I knew her very well at the time, but she said that. And uh, I was like, yeah, I was like, I got to do something with hockey. And so I didn't know what, what to do. I mean, I literally hadn't skated for eight years. I hadn't talked to anybody in hockey, nothing. I was like, I thought, you know, who the hell is going to listen to me? Like yeah, after all that I had done, all that I had gone through, like my time in hockey was done. And you know, I ended up reaching out to a local junior team and I said, Hey, listen, you know, I introduced myself through email and, you know, you Google my name, this is what you're going to see. And you have to remember, this is before the podcast, before any stories were written. And all it was, was either my short time in pro and then stories about me going to jail and everything else. And so I was like, I just told him, I was like, this is what you're going to see. I said, but I really just want a chance. I said, like, if there's anything I can do to help your team whether it's sit in the stands and they don't even know I'm there and I'll take stats, I'll do it. Like, I don't even need to meet any of them, whatever you need, I'll do it. I just want to be at the rink again. I want to do stuff. And, um, with no expectation, I was just like, uh, this guy's not going to write me back or he's going to tell me to, to beat it. And, uh, the next day he ain't, he wrote me an email and he's like, Hey, we're in the middle of playoffs right now, but as soon as the season's over, you know, I'd like to sit down and have coffee with you. And his name is Mark Gannon at the time. I didn't realize he was actually a police officer, which was really weird, um, kind of funny. Um, And we ended up, you know, not having that coffee, but we've stayed connected, but it was in that moment. um, I was like, you know what? Like maybe, maybe just maybe um, people will give me a chance. And so I think it was, I don't know, maybe a week or two later I recorded the first episode of my podcast and, uh, the rest is history. And, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy. It just, the way that it kind of fell into my lap. And I was very lucky that I got guys like my old coach, Terry Bruskowski, who's, you know, he's worn more captain in professional hockey than anybody, including the Chicago Blackhawks and, um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, he came on and then I got Doug McLean and, you know, Theron Fleury and, you know, Chris Nyland and all these guys. And, and I'll be honest, I don't bug the current, like I have friends in the NHL that I've sort of reconnected with, but I don't bug them during the season or anything. I just leave them be, I don't, if they want to come, they know where I'm at. Um, and I've talked to them and whatever, but I, I've been r- really lucky that, you know, early on a couple of people really lent some credibility to my podcast and then, you know, the podcast is one very small part of it. I do a lot of them. I love doing it because I like to, uh, I like to talk as you can tell, but I also like to connect with people. And, um, my big passion though is, is really puck support. I mean, I'm telling you, there's, uh, there's a list of names and, you know, I know that this isn't video, but like, if you look like in any of our clothing, like there's names of every single, like we have a list. So that's my, that's my old coach. And you might like, I'm, he might have played oh no this is Matt I have a different one on but in the sweatshirt I have like another name you can't see it in the camera but you know the lists are on there there's Bob Probert on there Steve Montador on our list like Todd Ewan like the list goes on and, and right down to minor hockey players I like put it this way I knew there was a problem when I when I found the story of Nick and Jack Savage who are who were brothers and they both overdosed in the same night at a party you know 18 and 20 years old and Uh, hockey players and you know it just I was like you know what like this is uh this is this is crazy like you know um I mean it's it's way beyond hockey let's be honest mental health and addiction is just part of life but if we can somehow put a dent in it um in the hockey world and I know that being a hockey player sometimes it takes a hockey player to to resonate that with and um you know, there's a couple uh, women on there as well, unfortunately um, suicide and overdose. Everybody on that list is either suicide or an overdose. And people will argue that, you know, Bob Probert's in that picture and he died of a heart attack, but I've uh, become very close to Danny Probert and the kids. And um, it's pretty well known about his struggles. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's uh, pretty fair to say that, you know, the reason why that happened was because of the hard lifestyle he lived and, uh, you know, it's, it's really tragic. And, uh, it, it just seems like every day, um, I'm hearing of another, another story of somebody struggling and every other week I'm adding somebody to that list. Um, not necessarily like it's happening yesterday, but it's like, Hey, you know, this happened five years ago, two years ago, a year ago. And we're just continually, you know, honoring these, these individuals that we've lost prematurely to these terrible issues. And, and you know, like when it comes to putting those names in the hat and the shirt, like I personally do that. Like, that's what I do. Like I'm the only one that's ever put a name in any of this clothing. And every time I put a name in there, it's like, I see my own name going on there. I'm like, it should be me. Like I should be, I should be gone right now. Like there's no way with the amount of times I overdose serious suicide attempts where I'm waking up in the hospital with heart rate monitors on me and my parents around me. um, The amount of times I've been Narcan and everything else. It's just, there's no other explanation except I really believe that I'm doing exactly what I'm, I was meant to do. I don't think I was ever meant to play professional hockey for a long time. I think I just made it far enough and made the connections I needed to make to be able to have this platform. um, And, and, you know, what we're doing here though like i didn't name it the brady liebold foundation like it's not it's puck support like i'm not fit to run like where i want this organization to be like i'm not fit to run this organization like i just want to be a soldier (laughs) i hope one day I can be i I really do and i'll do it as long as i can and and i'll 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 keep trucking and, and trying and everything else but like for the first like the last year like anything on social media, any website, any, I did it all. Like it was just me doing absolutely everything. And I don't know how to do that stuff, but I figured it out because I felt like I needed to, but finally now people are starting to realize that I'm really serious about this. And um, we've been really lucky with some of the connections we've been able to make. And we have some really exciting announcements coming down the line aside from the NHL, but I just, you know, can't talk about those right now, but it's, you know, it's, it's a real honor guys to be able to sit here and talk to you and, and to be able to remember Uh, All of these men and women that we've lost—it's—it's honestly—it's—it what's—it's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It really is.
1: Yeah, and it's great to hear that. You know, unfortunately, you know, your story is so uh, tragic and and heavy, but it's good to see that you were able to kind of go full circle and and find the positive things and to do so many great things. And um, I know you're making an impact on so many people's lives that are even not hockey related, and um, you're doing a really good thing. And we're super excited for you and obviously you're really supportive of, of what you're doing. And, um, while you're on the, the topic of puck support and your podcast, can you tell people, you know, what they could expect out of your podcast and where they can <laughs> listen to you and where they can find you?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I typically try to do them Wednesdays and Sundays. And if you go back, um, you know, to the first early episodes, I apologize. You want to listen to that. It was, it was originally called, Uh, hockey to heroin the road to recovery it's since been changed to uh hockey to hell and back with the number two um instead of spelt like t-o um but you know i do them live all my podcasts are live videos now um and you know youtube facebook twitter um and but primarily i get most of my listenership through audio still um it's everywhere apple um, Spotify, Google podcasts, you know, it's everywhere. Um, but what you're going to expect, I mean, in the early episodes, pretty rough around the edges, um, a lot of swearing, a lot of, you know, just me being me. And I think over the last year, you, uh, you'll, you'll notice, especially lately, like I, I don't have a problem with swearing and stuff, but I just, I choose not to on my podcast. I know I just swear earlier, but, um, sometimes I believe there's a time and a place for it. Um, but I'm really, you know, just trying to, and my guests swear all the time though, but it's like, I used to have the worst mouth on my podcast and I just, I would go back and listen. It's like, you know what? Like that probably shouldn't have been said there. Um, in that context, I didn't need to, but it was because I was so passionate and and I still am. And, um, what to expect, um, depending on who's on, uh, we talk a lot about, um, life much like we did tonight and, uh, people's struggles, um, uh, Coming up, I got Kelly Ewan coming on, Todd Ewan's wife, which is going to be exciting. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's ranging from Stanley Cup champions, Hockey Hall of Famers, to junior guys that didn't pan out, uh, stories like mine. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of fun, uh, but most of the time it's a pretty serious conversation. And uh, before I say anything else, it's like I – I won't say which podcast or anything, but I I firmly believe that there's a couple podcasts out there that are extremely dangerous. Um, Especially when you look at some of the topics and and how they discuss things and the way they're talking about, um, I'll say women um, glorifying partying. Um, There's, there's more than one too. So we're not just talking about the one, but it's like when you have, Um, the attention uh, of people like you do and you're on that platform you you know I wish people would understand that they have an opportunity to make a difference um, instead of making it about always being funny or trying to impress people or money or you know or any of it Um, so you're not going to get any of that that stuff on my podcast you know you'll hear the odd funny stories and, and different things but it's it's not you know, it's a, it's more of a life-based, um, how are we going to make a difference, uh, in the world? That's what my podcast is about. Um, puck support, uh, puck uh, at puck support on, on Instagram and Twitter. We don't have the greatest, I don't know how to run social media. I missed that while I was in my addiction. So I'm learning about hashtagging and everything else. Um,
1: <laughs> social media sucks. It's yeah. so terrible.
2: It's so hard. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm not the greatest at it, but you know, if there's, you know, I'm starting, starting to pick up steam a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been an exciting last year and I, I don't anticipate um, slowing down anytime soon. I work, uh, you know, and when I say work, I mean, I volunteer um, about 16 hours a day. Um, most days between, you know, talking to people, answering messages, I'll get on the phone with people, uh, people that I don't know. I try to make time for absolutely everybody, which I can't always do, but I, I find a way Um, but you know, working on, on POC support is my main project. And if anybody listens to my podcast, I put a lot of time into them. Um, you know, I do, um, I do my homework and I try my best to, uh, bring out the best conversation. It's not always, um, what I hope or anticipate, but sometimes it blows me away. And, um, I feel that, you know, what, uh, and it's, sometimes it's nothing I'm doing. It's, it's these guys and girls that come on and, and are willing to open up and show their real selves. And and I think that really resonates with people. And, uh, my goal when I started everything was to help one person. And I can confidently say that I've done that. Um, Tenfold, and that's not to boost my own ego or anything, but I'm I'm really proud of that. And uh, but I never let it get to my head because there's always more work to do, and there's always one more person struggling, and there's always one more person that needs, you know, care and love and attention and support. And it's uh, it's a, been a big task. It's been a huge uh, task, and sometimes overwhelming. But I feel like I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing.
0: Well, we're grateful that you're out there doing that, and. Um... Being that helping hand that maybe you didn't have when when you needed it most, and all the things and conversations you have are are great um, on your podcast with your guests that go beyond just the uh, things you were saying. So, but you are no exception to our last three questions, Brady. (laughs) I we do like to still have a little bit of fun with with that. Okay. Like we could be serious, but we still have to add a little bit of humor. Um Yeah, I'm sorry if
2: I I took it in such a serious direction. I tend to do that with things so that's you
0: don't need to apologize for anything. Um our conversations go wherever they go. Um we don't we we go for it. We go where the conversation is going. So our final three questions, who is your favorite hockey hunk?
2: My favorite hockey hunk. I got to go like current or past whenever.
0: Either. Whatever you want. Maybe both. I got
2: to pick Pavel Bure. I got to pick Pavel Bure. He's my favorite (laughs) player of all time. Um, Current player. Who do I think is, uh, who do I think? And I have no problem telling you. if If I see a good-looking guy, I'd be like, that's, you know, that's a good-looking guy. Um, who's a good-looking guy in the NHL? Who's got those eyes? I wish Mike Fisher was still playing. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I think that's a good question.
0: You can uh, still say Mike Fisher. You don't have yeah. to even pick a current guy.
2: Mike Mike Fisher, man, like those eyes. Like, come on. Like, how can you? Oh, I know. That? Jamie Harry. Ben. So, Jamie Ben's pretty good-looking, too. So, I'll, yeah, I'll go with Benny. And yeah, Benny can have it. <laughs> Not that he needs it, but...
0: No. Uh, Who is your favorite hockey lady?
2: My favorite hockey lady, I got to go with Kendall Coyne. Like, no question. And I know we're maybe running out of time, but, you know, I was in jail when she skated in that fastest skater uh, competition. And uh, I literally fell off my chair. That changed everything. Um, not just for me, I'm speaking about the entire hockey world. I mean, she, she kicked some serious ass that day. And, um, I, I don't think anybody was expecting that. And I was so happy to see that. And it's really, it's really opened, you know, the doors for the women. And I'm just, you know, I'm really proud of her for doing that. Cause that would not have been easy, man. She opened the whole thing in front of all the best hockey players and a sold out rink. And it's just like, wow.
0: She just crushed it. She's a badass, and our final question is: Do you have a Sidney Crosby story?
2: Ooh, Sidney Crosby story? Well, we're the same age, so I don't know him, um, but obviously, I, I I always say I hated him because I was jealous of him. Um, because a lot of
0: people say yeah. that.
2: <laughs> yeah. let, me get, let me finish the story here. So, Sidney Crosby, I had so much hate on for him and so jealous of him. Um, but back in 2010, when Canada won the gold, I was downtown Vancouver. Cause I'm from, that's where I, you know, I'm from. And we were down there and I was slowly coming around to Sidney Crosby, uh, during that tournament. And then when he won the gold, he scored the gold medal game winning goal or whatever. I like was so envious. Um, but about a half an hour after, uh, we're you know walking around downtown Vancouver like i I thought there was like five million people down there. It was nuts, right? But everybody, everybody's going Sidney Crosby, and I was I I literally I threw up my hands. I'm like, all right, he's the best. I love the guy. He's the best. Like, how can you hate? It? How can you hate him? He's the best. Like, I love the guy. And since that moment, I mean, I have so much respect for him. I, I think on and off the ice, he's such a great ambassador for the game and somebody that I would like to see maybe show a little bit more, but he's very careful and I understand why. Um, but, you know, is there one bad thing that anybody can say about Sidney Crosby? So.
0: Nope. I mean. That's why, that's why we ask the question. Cause everybody <laughs> has some kind of story about him and yeah. it's all positive. And we, we need some more of that in, in the sport and in our lives.
2: No, that's great. I like that question.